With eight by his side come hot from hell. Shall in these confines with a monarch voice cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. But this foul deed shall smell above the earth with carrion men groaning for burial. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Our first episode as the Jay Sheldon Show. Our brand new brand. That's our new logo right there. Hello, if you're listening in on our podcast, I hope I've got the podcast feed right. You should find it in your usual places on Apple, Google, Spotify, Radio Public, Stitcher, all those podcast platforms. Luna Amethyst, <laughs> first in on the new one. Hello and yo. Yo to you. Good to see you. Uh, yeah, it's a brand new thing, and uh, this is it. Not much has changed around here. The branding has changed a little bit. The logo, the opening. Our closing is also a little different. It's really cool. Wait till you see it at the end of the show. I mean, it's just... 20 seconds long, but it's still cool. Anyway, uh, coming up, insulting religion, clogged drains. Yeah, no, not mine, yours. Do you trust the government? Most of you don't. And a brand new idea for hot dogs. I'm telling you, this show is breaking ground. We've got a new idea for hot dogs, and I love it. Why has no one thought of this before? That's coming up. All right. We'll get into that all in just a minute. Right now, we'll get into this little lady. Miko update. <laughs> yeah, that hasn't changed. Our Miko update is going to uh, stay right with us. Oh, we changed camera angles here, too, by the way. I know if you're on the podcast, you're going, what the hell is he talking about? We, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, do yourself a favor sometime. And when you have a moment, go to rumble.com or YouTube, Facebook, with twitch.tv. Check out our video show because there's a lot of things we do that are a bit visual. And, uh, yeah, you know, you'll also get a chance to, uh, to see Miko <laughs> like this. Uh, she is doing great. She went to the vet today and uh, had a checkup. Everything's fine. As you know, we told you in our last stream, she is having a phantom pregnancy. She's not pregnant, but she's got all the signs from her fat little belly. I mean, not pregnant fat, but fatter. Uh, her mammary glands are full. They're lactating a little bit. Uh, vet checked her out, said everything seemed fine, seemed perfectly normal, just keep an eye. She's a little more needy than usual, but we are more than happy to give her all the love she needs. And that picture was taken, by the way, about uh, about two hours ago, maybe two, three hours ago. So that's her just now. She is doing great and uh, enjoying life in general. Yeah, you are right, uh, Luna Amethyst, a cutie to be sure. <laughs> Oh, man. You know what? I'm going to take one second. Just bear with me, because I know at least Rumble had some sort of an issue this morning, uh, today, tonight. And uh, 
Yeah, see, there's something up with Rumble. Uh, I have no idea what. But welcome in. Welcome to the new show, The Jay Sheldon Show. It is our first episode as Jay Sheldon, but our 217th episode of doing these live broadcasts on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, Rumble. I don't know what's going on with Rumble, but we'll upload the video later and, you know, everything will be fine, I'm sure. Uh, meantime, uh, we're going to get into our topics tonight. And uh, yeah, <laughs> our thumbnail said it all, uh, insulting religion, which, you know, I've gone over this before. I'm going to go over it again for those idiots out there who just don't seem to understand. But from the Malay Mail, this ridiculous headline showed up. In Kuala Lumpur, which is our capital city here in Malaysia, a female activist has pled guilty to insulting Christianity on Facebook. Yeah. A woman activist pleaded guilty in Sessions Court here, uh, 25th May, to charges of posting insulting comments on Christianity to her Facebook page last year. Uh, the woman, she's 38 years old, is an activist of a non-government organization, NGO Pondok Hidra uh, Muslima Malaysia, M-U-M, uh, wasn't able to hold back the tears after she changed her plea to guilty at the trial of her case today. The judge set June 15th to hear facts of the case and for sentencing, uh, was accused of making and initiating a transmission of offensive communications with the intention of offending others through a Facebook account in the name of blah, 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 uh, on March 11th, uh, 2021. So this was like over a year ago, please. Uh, the post was then read at the Cyber and Multimedia Crimes Investigation Office, and uh, she was charged with uh, under this act of 1998 punishable the same act which provides a maximum fine of 50,000 ringgit and if you're not sure because your country's currency isn't ringgit that's a lot of money okay uh imp or imprisonment not a exceeding a year or both and uh, further find a thousand ringgit every day the offense was repeated after conviction if convicted Anyway, uh, there were, see, remember, we don't have enough police officers to investigate child porn IP addresses, but we got enough police officers to investigate these stupid, idiotic police reports. 61 police reports lodged regarding the post. The most complaints from Sabah, Sarawak, KL, and Selangor. Uh... Anyway, the lawyer pleaded for leniency on the grounds that her client was the sole breadwinner of the family, didn't mention, uh, intend to harm the public through her posting. My client is also facing a divorce case, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Let me show you the definition of the word insult, okay? This is the definition of the word insult. Where is it? Here we go. To say or do something to someone that is rude or offensive. Now, that doesn't mean make it a crime. That's just the definition of insult. To say or do something to someone that is rude or offensive. Okay. Religion isn't a someone. 
it's a some thing. I've long held, and I continue to hold the belief, that you cannot insult religion any more than I can insult this microphone. Hey, Mr. Microphone, you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. What's that? You're offended? No, you can't be offended because you're an inanimate object. You don't have feelings. Neither, here's a news flash for you, neither does religion. People have feelings, and they can be offended, and they can be insulted. But how can you make it a crime to insult something that cannot be insulted or offended? You want to say, I as a Christian, or I as a Muslim, or I as a Buddhist, I am offended by that remark? Great, knock yourself out. But your religion cannot be offended. It has no feelings. How you can charge someone with the crime of insulting a religion is beyond me. But not just here in Malaysia, around the world in different countries, we not only continue to do it in some countries, they kill people for doing it. There are countries that are just that back ass. So, to me, the woman should have pled not guilty because you can't insult a religion and make the argument. But no one ever will. We'll just continue to smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. Until somebody finally stands up and says, no more. I love this. I found this on the net, and it kind of relates to what I'm talking about. If you're silent about your beliefs, what you believe in, because you're worried someone is going to get offended, then your beliefs aren't that important to you, are they? Think about it. But rather, what people think about you is more important to you than your beliefs. When you stand up for what's right and true, what is right and true, you will receive both love and hate, guaranteed. But everyone will know what you're fighting for. Keep that in mind. Truer words. Nicely said. Alrighty then. We have had the hottest weather in uh, Malaysia for the last couple of weeks. It's been unbelievable. It's always hot here. I say it all the time. Malaysia's hot, hot, hot. But again, we've had one of these heat waves as it kicked in, and it has been unforgiving and unbelievable. With the heat, a lot of times in the afternoon comes the severe thunderstorms and the rain when those clouds build up during the day and the thunderheads form and boom, we get nailed. And then lately we get flooded Wicked bad. We've had some of the worst floods in the last few days. Not the massive flooding and landslides because these idiots who clear all the land and clear cut the jungles and all. Not that. Although I'm sure that'll be next. But the downtown area of KL, which is a major metropolitan city. If you don't know KL, look it up. Do a web search for Kuala Lumpur and check it out. It's a major city. Um, it gets clogged. The drains clogged and it makes a mess. Everybody complains, 
everybody says, oh, it's so terrible. The government doesn't know what it's doing. Uh, they can't take care of things. They, they don't know how to fix stuff. Okay. Let me share something with you that tells me it has little to do with what the government knows how to do. Never mind this little, let's get rid of that stupid comment. Okay. Take a look at this. This is from World of Buzz. The link's in our show notes. To everything we talk about, these articles, are all linked in our show notes down below. Here is a workman from DBKL. That's Dewan Bandaraya Kuala Lumpur, which is like the public works department. Um, this guy is in a drain on the side of the road. And take a look here. What this guy pulls out of the drain. Take a look. If you're listening to the podcast, sorry, go to our uh, our show notes and you'll find there. You see that? This giant stuffed teddy bear. He's yanking out of the drain because it's just been tossed aside, not wanted, thrown out in the garbage or tossed on the side of the road by one of you idiots. And it went in and completely clogged the drain. Now, tell me how DBKL or the city or the workers... Don't do enough to try and, you know, it's like I said with the road system. They don't make the road system not to work. If you morons would get in the right lane before you get to the turn, if you would stop throwing your giant stuffed teddy bears out on the side of the road so the rains can wash them away and down the drains, you wouldn't have the problems. The system is designed to work. You fools are making it not work because you are abusing the system. Just like those people who wait till the last minute to get in the right lane and block traffic for everybody else for miles and miles and kilometers and kilometers because you couldn't get in the right lane to begin with way before you knew the lane, the turn was coming. Had to try and cut in and sneak up to save yourself. You know, because as long as you've saved yourself a couple of minutes, screw everybody else on the road. All I care about is me. I think that's the very definition of the word kiasu. But this, okay, never mind Brian Christopher. <laughs> this is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. The road system, the drainage system, they will work if you would just use them the way they're designed to be used. Anasal Lai, I think I read that right. Like the stream. Thank you very much. Good to have you along, and thanks for the like. Appreciate that. Round of applause for you. All right. Anyway, the system works. Use it. That's what it's there for, you morons. <laughs> All right. What else we got going on tonight? Let me see. Uh, do you trust the government? I know. It's really going to depend on what country you're sitting in that I asked that question and what your answer might be. I know these days um, in the United States of America, what is uh, Brandon's approval rate down to about 20% now or less? Unbelievable. Unbelievable, this moron. And did you see after the tragedy in Texas, he had to turn, instead of just expressing the grief that everyone is feeling for those incredibly affected families in uh, Texas, he turns this into some political circus bullcrap. 
I, you know, at this point, I don't even believe it's him. I just his handlers, who's ever feeding him his stuff in his earpiece or on his teleprompter. It's like Elon Musk said, whoever controls the teleprompter, that's the real president. Anyway, uh, let's get out of the U.S. and get into Malaysia because this article was interesting. It's in our show notes. It's from the world. Of, uh, no, it's from the Malay Mail. So check that out. Survey has found that a majority of Malaysians don't trust the government and don't trust the media. Hey, finally, Malaysia and the United States have something in common. Despite Malaysia's sixth position out of 28 countries in the Global Trust Index, the 2022 Edelman Trust Barometer report found that Malaysians have a deepening concern that fake news False information are being used as a weapon against them. This is a really cool article by Ashley Young. Uh, It's from uh, Wednesday, so not so long ago. They've expressed an eroding sense of confidence in both the government and the media. An annual trust and credibility survey found, despite Malaysia's sixth position out of 28 countries, it ain't working. Democracies which previously prided themselves on values like freedom of speech. <laughs> freedom of speech in Malaysia. Oh, that's a good one. Tell me more. Uh, now I lost my place. Sorry. Freedom of speech. Okay. Uh, and expression. Yeah, now faced with an uphill task of balancing fundamental human rights against societal problems. One example of a persistent problem is that of fake news, which has remained a serious concern for a decade now. No clear solution in sight. That, according to the group director, Christopher DeCruz. There's other things that they discovered in this amazing survey. I encourage you to go check it out. Uh, Journalists and reporters have lost all credibility in Malaysia. And that's basically because, you know, journalism is dead. Nobody does journalism anymore. They do clickbait headlines and crap stories that, you know, just are there designed to get clicks online, not to actually report the news. Uh, 74% said they were worried their media practitioners were spreading disinformation or grossly exaggerating the contents of their report. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. There you go. And now the survey has said it. Survey says? <laughs> I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Things are changing. The public is not going to put up with this crap forever. Hey, by the way, uh, this is my Studio Voxel mug. This is the company that I work with here in Malaysia. Great company if you're looking for visual effects and also production. We do all that. Um, So anyway, yes, this is my Studio Voxel mug. And I've switched it now because I'm waiting for delivery of my new Jay Sheldon Show mug. It's still Miko mug. It's got Miko on one side and our new logo on the other side. But uh, yeah, you can go to the first link in our show notes. Uh, You'll see that right below in our description. And that's the Jay Sheldon Show Miko merch. Still got Miko, few new items there, so check it out, order something, help to support the show at the same time. Yeah, so there's our little plug. We had to get our, our plug in there. <laughs> Why not? Oh, yeah, any chance. You want to really help out? Go over, whoops. You want to really help out? Go over to uh, patreon.com. There's a link to that also in our uh, show notes tonight. 
and you can sign up and help to uh, help to support the show that way if you want to. No pressure. Cost you the maybe a, a, same as a cup of coffee once a month. All right. Moving on to the important stuff. Serious for a moment. Hot dogs. Now listen to me. I found this thing from Applied Science. And it is time. If somebody like Elon Musk or whatever does not pick up on this, then we've lost all hope. You can get a double cheeseburger, right? In fact, you can get something at McDonald's called the Mega Max, which is four burger patties. Frankly, the size of their patties, it basically four amounts to the size of one normal hamburger. But regardless, you can get a double cheeseburger. So why can't you get a double hot dog? Yes! Huh? Why can't, why has no one come up with this idea before? I'm telling you, there is a billion bucks to be made here if somebody would do this. Now, you can take a regular bun and you can put two hot dogs in it, but it's going to spill over. A bun is designed to hold one hot dog. That's it. A hot dog and a bun. I don't know why when I say hot dog, I automatically slip into this New York accent. But for some reason, a hot dog always reminds me of New York. Anyway, a double hot dog. Check this out. This guy developed the design for having an extra wide hamburger bun, uh, hot dog bun. It can accommodate two hot dogs at once. Higher meat to bread ratio, more surface area for mustard and relish. I put ketchup on my hot dogs. And I know uh, the world is ready. The time has come. We 1,000% support this idea. Take a look. Honestly, you bread-making companies out there, you're missing the boat. Gardenia, whoever all the other bread-making people are here in Malaysia, or wherever, Wonder in the U.S. Do they still make Wonder Bread? Probably. You make a double bun, and you are going to clean up. Huh? Did I tell you we had a brilliant idea on the show tonight? This is it. You can get double burgers. Everybody's got double burgers, but the reason is it's easy. You just take the bun, you move it up a little bit, you slide another bun, uh, burger patty in there, and you got a double burger. This would require the bread companies to do a little inventive, creative thinking. But I'm telling you, can you just imagine sinking your teeth into a double hot dog? Loaded with relish and mustard and ketchup. Oh, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, that is an idea whose time has certainly come. <laughs> Look, that's what this show is all about. If you've just discovered us, well, first of all, welcome and thank you. But <laughs> we find the weird stuff. In this case, I don't think that's weird. I think that is the coolest idea on earth. Somebody needs to do that. But anyway, we this is the kind of stuff. We you know, we got controversial at the beginning of our show a little bit. Shouldn't be controversial at all, but sadly in a lot of countries, stupidly it is. But regardless, um, 
<laughs> uh, and the other thing we always do is to share with you at least one good news story. Before we get into our classic book, we've been reading The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. We read a little part of all the stories, all the chapters, until we get all the way through the book, and then we start another book. So, uh, yeah, we always share with you at least one feel-good story just to lighten the mood and to, uh, to let you know and reassure you that, uh, yeah, no, these days it's awfully easy to, to think the world's going to crap in a handbasket, and in some cases it might be. But not for everybody. Take a look at this. Again, the amazing folks at World of Buzz, the link to this whole story is in our show notes. A Malaysian workshop owner helped out a 70-year-old woman, 7-0. This lady's 70 years, seven decades on the planet. And uh, she had a dream to own a car. She can drive. She has her license. She didn't have a car. Couldn't afford one. Well... This workshop owner helped this 70-year-old auntie out by selling her a Kanchil. Now, if you're not from Malaysia, a Kanchil is a very tiny, tiny little car, one of the smallest, least expensive cars we have that are made locally. Anyway, he sold her a Kanchil for one ringgit. There is the paperwork. There's the amazing guy. And there's the auntie, 70 years old, says, I sympathize with her having to use e-hailing services and hitching a ride with people to buy necessities and to work at a restaurant. So uh, although it might seem like a common must-have for a lot of people these days, a lot of Malaysians uh, often have to save up for years in order to afford their very own car. Uh, recently, a man from Malacca, helped out a 70-year-old woman achieve her dream of owning a car after he sold a Perodua Kanjil to her for just one ringgit. And there they are. That's, man, talk about a feel-good story. According to uh, Barita Harian, the workshop owner from Durian, uh, Durian Tungai, Malacca, said, sold the elderly woman the Kanjil for one ringgit as a sign of care and an effort to help those in need. Uh, his name, Sheikh Mohammed Makhdad Harun, 49 years old, approached by uh, Jamila Mazaki, who wanted to, use a, wanted to buy a used car, and she didn't have enough money to pay for one in full. As he pitied her, he decided to look for an affordable used vehicle for her, which led him to the owner of a Kancho, who was willing to give the car away. There you go, look at that, a one ringgit note. And there's her road tax certificate. Fantastic. He bought, brought the vehicle back to the workshop, did the repairs on the car, needed some, made sure it was safe to be driven, and then uh, sold her the car for one ringgit. Man. And uh, she got to realize her dream of actually owning a car. That is sweet. Man. You see? You see? Despite the fact you have all these morons on the roadways cutting into traffic, doing stupid things, dumping teddy bears on the side of the road. You still, you still have good people like this amazing guy from Malacca. And I tip of the hat to you. The link to this whole article, there's more details in there if you want to check it out, is in our show notes. It's from World of Buzz. And uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Good, good, good stuff. And we are really happy to have heard that story. 
All right, just checking through here, and um, I realize that Rumble is still not operating. I don't know why, but uh, that's all right. We'll plow through, and like I said, we will uh, we'll get our show uploaded, uh, the video part of the show, on uh, later on in the evening. All right, meantime, one of the things we did not change about our Jay Sheldon show is our book. We're doing Sherlock Holmes. We've been doing that for quite a few streams now. It's a long book. It's in chapters. Every one of his different adventures is separated out into a chapter. And we're doing the case of the Red-Headed Men's League, uh, the mystery. And uh, I hope you've been following along. If not, just go back. You'll see we started this particular chapter of Sherlock Holmes three, four, five uh, streams ago. And uh, we're almost to the end of this part of the, this part of the story. So uh, we have a rather interesting mystery unfolding in front of us. Let's get back into the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. My friend was an enthusiastic musician, being himself not only a very capable performer, but a composer of no ordinary merit. All the afternoon he sat in the stalls wrapped in the most perfect happiness, gently waving his long, thin fingers in time to the music, while his gently smiling face and his languid, dreamy eyes were as unlike those of Holmes, the sleuth hound, Holmes, the relentless, keen-witted, ready-handed criminal agent, as it was possible to conceive. In his singular character, the dual nature alternately asserted itself, and his extreme exactness and astute represented, as I have often thought, the reaction against the poetic and contemplative mood which occasionally predominated him. The swing of his nature took him from extreme languor to devouring energy, and, as I knew well, he was never so truly formidable as when, for days on end, he had been lounging in his armchair amid his improvisations and his black-leather editions. And then it was that the lust of the chase would suddenly come upon him, and his brilliant reasoning power would rise to the level of intuition, until those who were unacquainted with his methods would look askance at him as a man whose knowledge was not that of other mortals. When I saw him that afternoon, so enwrapped in the music at St. James Hall, I felt an evil time might coming upon those whom he had set down to hunt. You want to go home, no doubt, doctor, he remarked as we emerged. Uh, yes, it would serve as well. And I have some business to do, which will take some hours. This business at Cogburg Square is serious. Why serious? Oh, a considerable crime is in contemplation. I have every reason to believe that we shall be in time to stop it. But today, being Saturday, rather complicates matters. I shall want your help tonight. At what time? Ten will be early enough. I shall be at Baker Street at ten. Very well. And I say, Doctor, there may be some little danger, so kindly put your army revolver in your pocket. He waved his hand, turned on his heel and disappeared in an instant among the crowd. 
I trust that I'm not more dense than my neighbors, but I will always oppressed with a sense of my own stupidity in my dealings with Sherlock Holmes. Here I'd heard what he had heard, I'd seen what he'd seen, and yet from his words it was evident that he saw clearly not only what happened, but what was about to happen, while to me the whole business was still confused and grotesque. As I drove home to my house in Kensington, I thought it over. From the extraordinary story of the red-headed copier of the encyclopedia, down to the visit to Saxe-Cogburg Square and the ominous words with which he had parted from me. Was this nocturnal expedition, and why should I go armed? Where, where were we going, and what were we going to do? I had the hint from Holmes that this smooth-faced pawnbroker's assistant was a formidable, a formidable man, a, a man who might play a deep game. I tried to puzzle it out, but gave it up in despair, set the matter aside until night should bring an explanation. It was quarter past nine when I started from home and made my way across the park, and so through Oxford Street to Baker Street. Two hansoms were standing at the door, and as I entered the passage, I heard the sound of voices from above. On entering his room, I found Holmes in animated conversation with two men, one of whom I recognized as Peter Jones, the official police agent, while the other was a long, thin, sad-faced man with a very shiny hat and oppressively respectable frock coat. Ha! Our party is complete said Holmes, buttoning up his pea-jacket, taking his heavy hunting crop from the rack. Watson, I think you know Mr. Jones of Scotland Yard. Let me introduce you to Mr. Merriweather, who is to be our companion in tonight's adventure. We're hunting in couples again, doctor, you see, said Jones, with his consequential way. Our friend here is a wonderful man for starting a chase. All he wants is an old dog to help him to do the running down. I hope a wild grouse may not prove to be the end of our chase, observed Mr. Merriweather gloomily. You may place considerable confidence in Mr. Holmes, sir, said the police agent loftily. He has his own little methods. If he won't mind my saying so, just a little too theoretical and fantastic, but he has the makings of a detective in him. It's not too much to say that once or twice, as in that business of the Sholto murder and the Agra treasure, he's been uh, more clearly correct than the official force. Oh, if you say so, Mr. Jones, it's all right, said the stranger with deference. Still, I confess I miss my rubber. It is the first Saturday night for seven and twenty years that I have not had my rubber. I think you will find, said Sherlock Holmes, that you will play for a higher stake tonight than you have ever done yet, and that the play will be more exciting. For you, Mr. Merriweather, the stake will be some thirty thousand pounds, and for you, Jones, it'll be the man upon whom you wish to lay your hands. John Clay, the murderer, thief, smasher, and forger, He's a young man, Mr. Merriweather, but he is at the head of his profession, and I would rather have my bracelets on him than any criminal in London. 
He's a remarkable man, a young John Clay. His grandfather was a royal duke, and he himself has been to Eton and Oxford. His brain is as cunning as his fingers, and though we meet signs of him at every turn, we never know where to find the man himself. He'll crack a rib in Scotland one week and be raising money to build an orphanage in Cornwall the next. I've been on his track for years and have never set eyes on him yet. Well, I hope I may have the pleasure of introducing you tonight. I've had one or two little turns also with Mr. John Clay, and I agree with you, he is at the head of his profession. It's past ten, however, and quite some time that we get started. If you two will take the first handsome, Watson and I will follow in the second. Sherlock Holmes was not very communicative during the long drive, and lay back in the cab humming the tunes which we'd heard in the afternoon. We rattled through an endless labyrinth of gaslit streets until we emerged into Farringdon Street. We are close there now, my friend remarked. This fellow Merriweather is a bank director, personally interested in the matter. I thought it as well to have Jones with us also. He's not a bad fellow, though an absolute imbecile in his profession. He has one positive virtue. He's as brave as a bulldog as tenacious as a lobster if he gets his claws upon anyone. Ah, here we are. They're waiting for us. We'd reached the same crowded thoroughfare in which we'd found ourselves that morning. Our cabs were dismissed, and following the guidance of Mr. Merriweather, we passed down a narrow passage and through a side door, which he opened for us. Within there was a small corridor, which ended in a very massive, iron gate. This also was opened and led down a flight of winding stone steps, which terminated at another formidable gate. Mr. Merriweather stopped to light a lantern, then conducted us down a dark, earth-smelling passage, and so, after opening a third door into a huge vault or cellar, which was piled all around with crates and massive boxes, "'You're not very vulnerable from above,' Holmes remarked as he held up the lantern and gazed about him. "'Oh, not from above,' said Mr. Merriweather, striking his stick upon the flags which lined the door floor. "'Why, dear me, it sounds quite hollow,' he remarked, looking up in surprise. "'I must really ask you to be a little more quiet,' said Holmes severely. "'You've already imperiled the whole success of our expedition.' "'Might I beg that you would have the goodness to sit down upon one of those boxes and not interfere?' "'Well, the solemn Mr. Merriweather perched himself upon a crate, with a very injured expression on his face, "'while Holmes fell upon his knees upon the floor, and with the lantern and magnifying lens, "'began to examine minutely the cracks between the stones. "'A few seconds sufficed to satisfy him for he sprang to his feet again and put his glass in his pocket. We have at least an hour before us, he remarked, for they can hardly take any steps until the good pawnbroker is safely in bed. Then they will not lose a minute, for the sooner they do their work, the longer time they will have for their escape. We are at present, doctor, no doubt you have divined, in the cellar of the city branch of one of the principal London banks. 
Mr. Merriweather is the chairman of directors, and he will explain to you that there are reasons why the more daring criminals of London should take a considerable interest in this cellar at present. It's our French gold, whispered the director. We have several warnings that an attempt may be made upon it. Your French gold? Yes, we've had occasion some months ago to strengthen our resources and borrowed for that purpose 30,000 Napoleons from the Bank of France. It's become known we've never had occasion to unpack the money and that it's lying in our cellar. The crate upon which I sit contains 2,000 Napoleons packed between layers of lead foil. Our reserve of bullion is much larger at present than it usually is kept in a single branch, and the directors have been having misgivings upon the subject. Which were very well justified, said Holmes, and now it is time that we arrange our little plans. I suspect within an hour matters will come to a head. In the meantime, Mr. Merriweather, we must put the screen over that dark lantern and sit in the dark. Oh, I'm afraid so. I brought a pack of cards in my pocket, and I thought that as we were a parte carré, you might have your rubber after all. But I see the enemy's preparations have gone so far that we cannot risk the presence of a light. And first of all, we must choose our positions. These are daring men, and though we shall take them at a disadvantage, they may do us some harm unless we are careful. Then I shall stand behind this crate, and do you conceal yourselves behind these? When I flash a light upon them, close in swiftly. If they fire, Watson, have no compunction about shooting them down. I placed my revolver, cocked, upon the top of the wooden case behind me, behind which... I crouched, and that's where we will end it for tonight, with this chapter of uh, the red-headed mystery from the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Andrew Senator, howdy, hello there, good to see you, thank you for uh, the hello, nice to have you along for the ride. Uh, that's going to do it for us tonight. We are uh, closing out again, and we will see you, let's see, this is Saturday, so our next show will come up on Monday night uh, to our podcast listeners. I'm sorry. I know you missed the very beginning of our show, but that's all right. You'll get back up to speed. And uh, we just missed about uh, five minutes of our, our podcast. So that's okay. Thanks for sticking around. If you'd like to hear all of our episodes, a hundred and what, seven, 217, I think we've done so far. You'll find both the video on rumble.com or YouTube, our YouTube channel, the links in our show notes down there in the description. Also, you can um, you can listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Jay Sheldon Show. Look for this logo. And that's it. Click follow and off you go. You're subscribed. The subscriptions, by the way, are what keep us on the charts and keep us going. So it's really important that you subscribe or follow on your favorite uh, podcast platform. All righty then. I will see you again Monday night, 10 o'clock Malaysian time. This... It's the Jay Sheldon Show. Good night, everybody. <laughs>